0: Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandro, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines.
1: Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandro, and I'm talking with Andrea Johnson, who is our photographer for our upcoming book, Wine Country Women of Willamette Valley, due out in 2020. Andrea Johnson is a photojournalist. Andrea, thank you so much for sitting down with us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me here. It's very odd for me to be on the other side of the microphone or camera.
1: Oh, I'm sure you're going to do a perfect job. I'm excited to sit down here and talk to you and let people learn about your interesting story. So, before we get started talking about what you do now, do you remember what your first job was ever? Your first paying Mm -hmm.
2: job? Well, I had a lot of different odd jobs that I worked through high school and college, but my first professional job that I would say has really affected how my career went was right after I graduated from college at Nike. And I was the photo producer for the in house design department which was an amazing opportunity at that time. And I had an incredible exposure to just the whole world of the design process. But it was also a little bit of, I wouldn't say disillusionment, but um, understanding of all the other business aspects that I needed to have experience in to move ahead in that industry. I think that you come out of college, with the photojournalism degree and all energetic to be able to expand and move ahead, and a large corporation wasn't necessarily the right fit for my personality or style. Although I'm very happy to have had the experience, but you learned that right away, so that was good. I don't. I think it was it was imposed upon me. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I would say. Um, I took over. There was an incredible woman that was um, on maternity leave, and I had a chance to work with her for about a month. And the talent that was coming through in the 90s at, at Nike, especially then, was unheard of in the marketing, advertising world in Oregon at that point. And I didn't realize how much that I would miss Oregon until I left to Chicago for college and then purposely sought that out coming back. But I think I was too early for my time because back then they weren't really doing women's adventure sports, and I was pushing that as a a great angle Um, and, you know, hiring some more women into the mix, and it was pretty much male-dominated sports and photographers at that point. And then I also really encouraged a digital component to be able to archive and organize, and I had done a lot of multimedia and actually in college had done a project on Nike. But in reality, they were still pretty analog back at that time, and so I kind of met some resistance within the corporate world of probably not being as diplomatic as I would have learned as I aged. But you were a visionary, yeah, <laughs> and you,
1: and and to some degree, you, um, like you said, were ahead of your time um, because you saw what you saw into the future. More yeah women in the industry, you know more opportunities in photography.
2: well I'm grateful for that experience, the business experience I had to see it from the client's perspective, and they laid off all the contract workers right after that, which forced me to have time to determine my own path, and I also did my first long term travel after that point too, okay. so it I think it scared me off from coming back into the industry for about ten years as a photographer because I saw the amazing talent. like we would be in a room and there would be a thousand portfolios, like beautiful like three four hundred dollar leather bound, really well cared for curated portfolios, and only a really small percentage of those would have a chance to get seen. And I just realized what I was up against, being a freelance photographer at that point. And I think had I not done the experiences with other companies before I went out on my own, I probably wouldn't have survived through all the downturns and all the challenges that are just inevitable in any business, but especially creative. That's a good segue
1: to where we are today. So you have your own business. How how long have you had your own business?
2: Yeah, that's, it's crazy for me to think back within the wine industry that I'm, I think, one of the longstanding people specifically within the photography um, community and the wine. I, I guess I would say 2002 was the first project that I began with, and I I ended up choosing, I think, wine by the economics of what was happening, but I can't imagine had I not focused that niche and been able to find something with the perfect Um, combination of the industry was really taking off at that point and there was a niche to be filled and it allowed me to be able to stay where I've grown up and really build. A business. Yeah.
1: But while you focus on wine, agriculture, you also do adventure travel and film
2: yeah right. I mean adventure travel was my first love, and it still is any winemakers that have known me well enough to get them out in the vineyard and have them do a yoga pose or climb on top of something or I'm climbing on top of some angle um you know i've i've I think I came into photography through travel um and I've always combined the two as much as possible, so I still love that aspect, but that that market per se um That really doesn't, a generalist travel photographer to make a living at that doesn't really exist anymore like it had potentially 10 or 15 years ago. So I went full-time freelance and decided that during travels, and it was right during September 11th. Oh, lordy. So there couldn't have been probably a more difficult time to have transitioned. um, And it was the wine niche and focus that I think really was due to the success of being able to fine-tune the, um, the ability to grow the business. But it was the travel that helped me tell a story, and it was the first examples that I showed the wineries um, of how I was able to build from that photojournalistic background a series of storytelling images that captured something more in depth than just an individual piece here and there. And um, I've been fortunate to be able to to work with some of the wine clients for over a decade, which is amazing.
1: It is amazing. And you have such a great um, group of wine folks in Willamette Valley, such accomplished uh, individuals. But let's stay focused on you. You have four books, won a Telly Award for the Noble Spirit
2: was actually the Washington Wine Commission um, videos that we did. Okay. So.
1: And you also regularly work
2: for Wine Spectator.
1: So I've got to ask, what was a turning point in your career?
2: I mean, there's been multiple and I've continued to evolve my career. I think that if you don't innovate and evolve that you get left behind. That's true for any of the businesses. Um, And if
1: turning point isn't the right word, what about maybe a big break that you had?
2: I mean, I think my very, I'll, I'll maybe mention a few. The first um, client that I worked with in Future Opportunity was actually with Willa Kenzie. And I had shown a bunch of my storytelling photos to Ronnie and Bernie at that point. And they said, great, um, let's come in and capture all these different aspects. But I don't want anything traditional. In fact, the first photo I want you to capture is... Let's go for like a 20-foot aerial photo that, you know, captures the entire vineyard in a sense of place. And let's get up in a helicopter or something. You can do that, right? Of course, I told Bernie, sure, I can. (laughs) But I never really, I'd always loved aerial perspectives and skydive, skydiving, paragliding, rock climbing, you know, the whole adventure. The thought of hanging out of a helicopter was very attractive to me. But I've always, I think seen an opportunity for a way to be able to tell a story differently. And you know certainly from the air is a beautiful sense of place, but then had to take a bit of a risk to figure out how to do it and have that be on my own dime and my own reputation that I'd be able to pull it off well. And it wasn't easy back then because it was slide film and it was at dawn and the helicopter had to be very steady. um, And I had to take three shots for each frame to be able to get the exposure range between the vineyard and the sky. And then I did five vertical shots together that could stitch on the computer and blow up to something that size. So it wasn't an easy photo and it turned out thankfully well. Um, and so that helped, I think, establish part of my aerial expertise in the industry. Um, and then the next opportunity that came along is I wanted to do a larger project. I started to work with Wine Spectator a bit. Um, I captured a lot of um, weather-type photos. So I think it was a shot of Shehalem in the snow with the red barn. It was one of the first oh, like Oregon that. stories mm-hmm. that opened up the feature. So I've been doing their features since 2005, which is a long time. but. You know, I had the vision for the Passion for Pinot book um, from ideas that I'd seen in other wine regions. And I knew that Oregon hadn't really told their story yet. So, coming up with that idea, then partnering with Bob and having the community um, really envision what that story should be. And this was, you know, right, I think before Sideways, even when New York publishers were thinking, oh, Pinot Noir is a fad or it's a small little niche. What's that? international or even national interest going to be and the industry here always knew that there was something special and really helped tell that story so that was my second biggest break and then from there it's just expanded to different wine regions all over the world but this will always be what I call home.
1: You've mentioned that you hang out of helicopters and you push personal limits to get the shot. Do you think that's what makes you so good?
2: I think any industry that you're in, you really have to have a personal drive and a passion and a love of doing what you do. Um, So, yeah, I, I definitely think that if you, as a creative, aren't comfortable in that, that's probably the wrong field. But I also find myself attracted to a lot of the same personality types that do that in their own different way. So maybe not like athleticism or... Um, adrenaline, but to run your own winery. It's the same personality profiles of the athletes that I would chronicle and work with when I was at Nike or different sports publications.
1: There's so many photographers, just like there's so many wines to choose from. What makes you so great? I mean, I think you're great, obviously. I hired you. (laughs) And I'm delighted to have you be a part of our Willamette Valley book, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what what do you think it is that you bring?
2: I I think it's really knowing the industry well and being committed to telling that story not to overuse the authentic word, but organically to spend the time. Um, people may see incredible aerials or sunrise or sunset photos or moments of a candid portrait or event or, um, you know, even more the video that I've been doing recently and think, oh, that just came together. But it's, it's knowing the place intimately and knowing the people well enough that you position yourself when the opportunity comes together that you're that go-to person and I also think seeing beyond what the possibility is at this particular time but what the future can help expand I've been able to partner with a lot of other visionaries that had that same belief and so like the collaborative approach to building an image library. And I, I mentioned that some of the wineries are, are clients and I consider good friends. I've, I've worked with them for over 15 years. And to be able to have that opportunity, just to be invited into people's lives and homes and their dreams. And I mean, how fortunate to be able to help capture something that is so personal for so many people. And that's what's also kept the work really interesting for me. Because it's not just a one-off beauty shot or concept. It's it's telling the story that. of of that place. And it's continued to evolve how I've done it in different media.
1: Proudest accomplishment. And I feel like we've kind of talked about some major accomplishments. But proudest accomplishment that you've had in your mm. career so far?
2: Mm. That's a tough one. I didn't expect that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think probably the fact of being able to, to start my own business and to have been able to keep it successfully, sustainably growing during this whole period. And as I mentioned at Nike, I was really scared to go full-time freelance. There's just such a small percentage of people that support themselves off that purely. And ever since I have gone full-time freelance, that's, been my only source of income. And I didn't do it in the easiest of ways. um, Between working for all the other companies, um, it was sports magazines and sports companies and a little bit of independent travel in between, I was hiring all these photographers, doing what I really wanted to be doing. And I think it was too difficult for me to all of a sudden hang my hat up and say I'm going to become a photographer. So... I took off and I traveled. I traveled for 18 months and, um, actually six of those months were, were pretty, um, off the beaten path. Like I lived in a tent and didn't have a warm shower for those months. Of course I was in tropical South Pacific or, um, parts of Asia, but During that time, I allowed myself to begin experimenting with what it would be like to be a creative or a photographer, and it just, it organically grew from those experiences. And when you're traveling, nobody says, like in most other places of the world, besides First World or America, people might meet you and, oh, where are you from? What do you do? What's your job? You're not identified that way when you're someplace completely different, so you have a chance to experience and experiment what that feels like. And then I came back, um, I think, determined that I wasn't going to work for somebody else. But I also came back right after September 11th when all of my savings were in stocks and I didn't have any existing clients or any savings. So it was a really difficult time to start a business. A business right? And it was a do or die. So the fact, I guess, that I've been able to do that for all this time, I think is...
1: Your proudest moment.
2: Yeah. Have you had a mentor along the way? Hmm. You know, it's interesting, this um, Women in Wine conference that we had and talking about whether it's a mentor or a colleague or an inspiration, I think I would wrap that into all of those aspects. Um, My first was my parents because they've had their own business successfully since I was five. And they were super supportive for me when I chose to go my own direction. Um, and I had seen them how hard they worked, but how much reward they got off of it and how my parents continued to evolve their business as markets changed to having different products and different aspects. And they worked really well together. So that was always, um, an inspiration and it was really nice to have their constant support. You know, they, um, encouraged me very much to go do my own thing. It was my own responsibility to, to support myself, but they were always an amazing source of encouragement. Um, and then I would say, within the photography community, I've been fortunate within the journalism um, background to be involved in a lot of organizations that have introduced me to just incredible storytellers. Um, and... Amy Vitale, she's a National Geographic photographer. I've met her at several different events that we've presented things, and I remember showing her the Pinot Noir book, which seemed commercial in comparison to she was covering conflict in Kashmir and um, you know some really tough concepts. But she was amazing what the, she would immerse herself into these environments and like live with these families. And she now does a lot of environmental work with elephants and rhinos and um, is Amy with an eye, Vitali, like an amazing body of work. But I think what inspired me the most about her is she's just such a passionate, kind person. She hadn't become hardened by like war journalism or just the challenges of being a female artist, so a photographer in a pretty male-dominated world. Um, The way that she'd handled that is a huge inspiration. And another photographer, Deanne Fitzmaurice, um, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist that has a background. And she's helped, um, I think, advise, especially as I've moved into film and video, And then the last is a business partner that I've worked with. I saw what Bob Holmes had done in the wine industry in California. And we began partnering together with the Pinot Noir book. And when it's larger projects for either advertising or books or or film and video, um, it's been really nice to have somebody to bounce the ideas creatively back and forth.
1: Super. Well, let's talk briefly about the project that we're going to work on, and then we're going to jump into your personal life here in Willamette Valley. So I am so honored to have someone with your incredible wealth of talent and skill to be a part of our Wine Country Women of Willamette Valley book. Uh, What inspires you about this book?
2: Mm, Thanks for asking. I mean, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it would, which might sound like a funny response. At first, we had the chance to, I mean, I'd seen the project, we met about the Willamette, and I had the opportunity to fill in at the end for part of the Sonoma book. I've always enjoyed telling people's stories, and I've done environmental portraits, but especially the last five years, the way that publishing's gone, The stories become shorter and shorter, the dub line shorter, and I feel like I've done more marketing or advertising pieces, but not something that's more personal. And when I think at this stage of my career, why do I choose a project or a, a cause that I really believe in, I've got to be pretty passionate about telling a different type of story than I think I've done or has been done in the industry. And there are so many incredible women here that have a diverse part of their life or background that I've personally had a chance to experience, but I haven't had a venue to capture them and photograph that part and really sit down. And I'm people I may have known for 15 years, still surprised to learn various things about their background or their passions. And I think the most meaningful work that we can do. When we look back in our our career of legacies, is I haven't captured that here in the Lammt Valley to the extent that I would like to yet, and so this book is an incredible celebration of it and an opportunity to go beyond the traditional beauty shot or the traditional marketing or advertising. That's something more personal.
1: Well, I know that you will bring your great eye and and wonderful skill to make it the most beautiful book possible and I'm so excited to see how it all comes together it's nice for me to hear how passionate you are about the project because I don't know if I've I've asked you that before so that's that's good to know and and it'll be interesting to see like I said how it all comes together I know it's going to be a great representation of your work not only from a, a portrait standpoint but from um from a scenic standpoint, too. So hopefully we can transport people to Willamette Valley and tell the stories of some amazing women that are here.
2: I have to say, I feel incredibly fortunate. Not many publishers take the time to get to know the region or what's distinct and be able to tell a story and dedicate themselves to capturing that. Because it would be very easy to have a cookie-cutter type of template that just doesn't have the individualized focus. In fact, I see that happening more and more, unfortunately, in a lot of um, projects. And the other thing that appeals to me is working with you, that you're really passionate also about capturing what's unique about the Willamette Valley, making this very distinct from Sonoma or Napa or any other location, and getting to know the area and the people so that it represents that truly, not just through the photos and the book, but events and activities and just a really, you don't have that chance very often to customize something to that that focus.
0: Want to learn more about women who live in wine country? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley and Wine Country Women of Sonoma County. They are available on our website at WineCountryWomen.com. Now we're going to talk about your personal life. Uh-oh. <laughs> you are an Oregonian.
2: I am. I'm a fifth generation Oregonian. Um, and I heard
1: somewhere that there is a river that runs through Willamette Valley.
2: Well, it's... There's actually is
1: that's related to you.
2: It's a little bit larger than a river. It's a lake. Oh, okay. And everybody pronounces it wrong. Um, it's Hague Lake. And that was my great grandfather, Henry Hague. Um, everyone says Hag Lake. My parents would always call the newscasters. You can probably relate to this <laughs> of not being prompted the right information from your. And mom would always call and say, It's Hague Lake. Hague, Hague. Um, but it's, I grew up going out to visit the farm, which is not bar is in reedville and then the the lake is near el cove and so i spent my years in junior high and high school driving all the back roads where the vineyards were beginning to really become established and i always loved the landscape here so
1: so your family is rich in history in this area
2: they are, and I don't. I don't think I appreciated it enough until I went away to Chicago, and wow, talk about a shock! I grew up on my mom's side; she was from Sun Valley. Um, well, she lived in Sun Valley as she grew up. She actually was born in California, but I had been surrounded by the outdoors. But I also felt that it was really important to have a different perspective on what made the area unique, and just to also have different experiences in the world through travel. I didn't have a chance to do that as much growing up because my parents, their business wasn't remote and you're always, I think, attached to that to a certain extent. But that, I certainly hightailed it back, although Chicago was amazing, all the food and wine in the 90s and the art and music and just the whole culture. Coming from, at the time, Portland was still pretty small to hitting the streets of Chicago as a complete shock for me oh I'll bet um and I I just hadn't had my world expanded to that extent but during the time I was gone was also the time that Oregon kind of became hip like when I was first out there as a freshman people said do you have paved roads out there I mean it was like (laughs) and I was sent him a photograph of highway 26 sunset being paved where it was like dirt and I'm like no we really just come from it's like "Ah, ah, it rains out there all the time you know and then it became a little bit of the the hip Portlandia place to be and it's just continued to rise and on the the positive aspects I think of those changes is we brought uh, a really wonderful mix of other people's backgrounds and experiences but people that still appreciate the key qualities of the lifestyle we are able to still maintain in the Willamette Valley in Portland.
1: So why do you stay in Portland? I mean, I know you live in Portland. Why Why live in Portland? Because it's now hip and cool? Or does, does we happen to be at the Allison Inn right now <laughs> talking, which is a spectacular place in Newburgh. I mean, why not move to Newburgh or Dundee or McMinnville, be kind of in the heart of wine country?
2: Yeah, I thought about living in wine country, and it would have been a smart investment 10 years ago, vineyard land, certainly. Um, and it's not out of the question in the future, but I, I mean, I during the key photography season, outdoors, I would say from May through October, my home is kind of the Subaru. I mean, I, I literally <laughs> packed that car, I've slept in it, I've been in and out in other vineyards. And I'm a bit restless as an artist. I'm also incredibly fortunate that I'm invited to people's vineyards and homes to capture their beauty. And I, I have a, a definite need to be outdoors like that. Um, but during the winter months, I still I travel quite a bit. Being closer to the airport, having the amenities in Portland for restaurants and activities, and is appealing. It's well, and I was fortunate to be able to purchase a condo before the pricing became just for portland or for oregon escalating very quickly it, it's it's kind of it's my it's my grounding place and i love traveling and i love coming home and so it's that balance
1: so if we took a step inside your home and i have been there you describe it mm-hmm. what is your home style like
2: eclectic i as much as i believe in photographs being the best way to Bring something back from my travels i i do admit a bit of a weakness of loving things that are handcrafted in different areas so i have like a mandala from nepal that's meaningful to me from the first time that i tracked that was hand painted and hanging in my bedroom um, i've got silk pieces from laos and um couple from Vietnam as well that were all handcrafted. And I've been in the factories and I've seen how they've been made, not just like sewing the components together, but from the dyeing process to the sourcing to everything. So I really love supporting individual artists in my different travels and the parts that they represent. So I've spent a lot of time in Buddhist countries and it helps bring peace and balance and resonance to me so I don't know if it's a cohesive design necessarily but there's something that's really attracted me I think in vibrant colors and textures and um, pieces of art that mean something to me beyond just the aesthetic beauty but what they represent
1: they connect you to a place. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna know. Can you tell us something that people might be people that know you might be surprised to learn?
2: Hmm. I, I kind of alluded to this already, the I Uh-oh. should have saved this, the that I lived out of a tent for six months without hot water. <laughs> um all of the sports that I had done as well, like I loved to scuba dive. But
1: something, is there something, I mean, the living out of a tent for so long is remarkable. Is there another just kind of mind blowing thing that you do that a lot of people don't know about or hidden talent or hobby? (laughs) Do you collect something funny?
2: No, I mean, I think <laughs> some people know this, they've seen more posts that yoga has always been something that's helped really ground me. And there are times that I'll travel that I will maybe just have the iPhone and I will I will put everything away and just try to make myself slow down and be present to where I'm at. Um, my ultimate relaxation is floating in a warm body of water with sunshine and an area that doesn't have Wi-Fi or cell service or any other, I need to really unplug. So I think people see me here often juggling multiple different projects and running around with the weather, which is very unpredictable. So I'm, I'm usually fairly busy from May through October, but the yin and yang of that is when I do have a chance to unplug, I might take a very slow travel. Um, perspective and focus when i do have a chance to get away and i'm not working on an assignment so really immersing myself into a place and um really being present to connect with individual people especially and i I wish that i would do that at home more than i laugh that here i am halfway around the world when i've not taken the time to do it back and forth and i'm constantly trying to to incorporate both of those into a balance but people might not see me slowing down to that aspect that I really find that I need to in order to speed back up when I'm in town.
1: So it's uh, it's just a matter of making the time to do it and what people might be surprised is that you actually consciously try to do that unplug. <laughs> we all need to try to do that. Okay, well, we have uh, talked for quite some time so we're going to wrap things up with what I like to call five quick questions. So there're five questions. They're random questions. The The idea is not to give it much thought. You ready? I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. What app do you use the most on your phone?
2: Oh, probably the Sunseeker app. I can point it at the sun and know where it rises and sets.
1: Okay. What's your favorite song?
2: Oh, I was afraid you might ask me that. And I don't I don't have one. Okay, one of
1: your favorite songs. Oh, I don't
2: even know if I have like an artist that I could answer. For oh that. my that's goodness. Terrible.
1: Bad girl. Okay, I'll, I'll give you another question. Which do you prefer, ice cream or potato chips?
2: Hmm. I would say an ice cream. Okay.
1: Um, what's one of your all-time favorite movies?
2: Oh, that's another. It's like asking a photographer their favorite photo. I love film. Um, I just said one of. I don't even know if I can remember the name, and I don't know if I would say this is the correct genre for a movie, but I remember seeing Skotsky which is like a time lapse of um, all different stages of environmental cities and um, nature. And this was like 15 years ago, um, before the technology was really available for that, and it's always kind of inspired me.
1: What's one, maybe a best-kept secret in the area?
2: Hmm. <sighs> I always try to encourage people to get lost and to take a back road. So, we have really beautiful, even like little gravel areas that connect one vineyard to another. And um, being able to discover those hidden views, I think, is still really accessible in the Willamette Valley that might not otherwise be in areas that have more private land or do not trespass. We are really fortunate to have a gem of uh biodiversity that surrounds wine country and i i just love exploring that and what's one thing that you hope
1: to achieve by this time next year
2: you hmm. know i was really inspired by the event that we just came from and the um, woman and wine fermenting change in oregon and it's been a larger movement that has really been going on for a while um I think all of us have these incredible stories and by doing this project with you, with the book, I'd really like to connect with community more and to be able to affect a positive change within all aspects of that. So I think individuals with a winery or um, as a photographer or a writer, we all are on our own worlds and projects, but I'd really invite and love to find ways to work together to make a larger impression beyond just speaking to um, the same audience. So I look forward to being able to make those voices seen and heard in a really positive way and a much larger scale.
1: Okay. Well, that's it. Andrea, thank you so much for your time today and the interesting
0: conversation.
2: Well, thank you so much too, Michelle. I'm super excited to be working with you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.